Hello and welcome to episode five of Responsible Adult, where I'm joined by Paula. Paula is the mum of one of my best friends, Alice. She's a frequent advice giver for me. She's often round with a glass of wine in hand, giving me pearls of wisdom. In this chat, we talk about how confidence or lacking confidence can define your growing up and how maturity or adulthood doesn't necessarily always bestow you with a lot of confidence and how that can hold you back. We talk about the intricacies of being a twin and how the process of getting a job used to be actually something quite fun, which feels a million miles away from what we know today. I really, really hope you enjoy Paula's journey into responsible adulthood. So, hello. Hi, Paula. Hi, Matilda. How are you? I'm good. So I'm joined by Paula, um, who is my very good friend, Alice's mum. I've known her for about 10 years now. Uh, She's also good friends of my mum now because friendship. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Neighbours. So let's take it back to what you would consider to be your first interactions with adulthood, which you know, might be maybe when you moved out? Well, probably would be, actually. I think um, I'm a twin, um, so my sister and I sort of, you know, grew up together, I suppose, and sort of developed into teenage uh, years together and stuff like that. But I guess, yes, my first contact with adults would be when I left home. Uh, actually, that's not true. I hadn't, that's not true. I didn't leave home. I went to, I took a year out after A-levels, mm-hmm. um, and I went to work um, at British Telecom in Bromley and had a sort of a, a year's job there so that's when I first sort of met adults because I was only 18 and most people were much older than me oh, okay. um, and I did befriend a woman called Madge actually who I still <laughs> do know um, and she sort of took me under her wing and she was really lovely so she sort of but I was still living at home at that point I think my sister had moved out by then I can't remember my brother had gone as well because I've got an older brother um, so that was it but I was a very sensible teenager it was like I sort of went to work came home, you know, I had a boyfriend as well and sort of just went home, watched the TV, didn't really go out very much, went back to work the next day. Okay. Um, but knowing that I was going to go to university, so I, t- I took a year out. I'd, I'd just gone for months into a with my boyfriend and then just sort of did this year's work, earned loads of money, which was great, but wasn't really great. Always good. <laughs> yeah, always great. Didn't really, wasn't a big spender, really. My parents didn't ask for any rent. Um, but I did know after that that I would go to university. Okay. So in terms of sort of, Adults, they, you know, this girl, imagine the people that I worked with were, were the first adults that I met, but I didn't really see them as adults, I don't think. I just saw them as sort of older people that sort of looked after me a little bit. We didn't really, we probably didn't really have adult conversations, if you, you know, what you class as an adult conversation. I mean, she was married anyway, so she was completely different from me. She talked to me about her kids mm-hmm. and stuff, but she really looked after me, and that was really nice. So. Okay. And I was there for a year, you know, got myself a little promotion and stuff, and and uh, which was my parents were really pleased about because they weren't really big ones didn't really my brother had gone to university but didn't really didn't really get it they they would have been perfectly happy for me to have sort of stayed there you know forever and ever so going to university after that was a bit you know was a bit of a sort of a a wrench Mm. and uh, so I went to Coventry to do business studies for my sins (laughs) Um, didn't really meet any adults there I must say you know we were all sort of chucked into Mm. the deep end together I was doing a course I absolutely hated um Dumped my boyfriend after about three weeks with a Dear John letter, which obviously oh. you don't do now. I know. Was his name John? No, his name was Simon. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story, there in life story, you know, stories with that. But um, mm. And then just sort of spent 
maybe a term and a half there because I really hated the course. Was, you know, I couldn't do the statistics or the economics. So left, but it was on a sandwich course. So I went to work for Encyclopedia Britannica, which was my next uh, sort of meeting with adults. Mm-hmm. And again, other than about, most people, again, were a bit older than me. Uh, and there was another woman there called Jane, who again took me under her wing and... Uh, her and her husband used to look after me and stuff, but she wasn't an adult really. We used to just party. She taught me how to drink. <laughs> we used to go to the pub every night after work. So um, that was when you were twenty. So only just as far as you're concerned, learning to drink at twenty. Pretty much, That's yeah, pretty yeah, 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 pretty much. Because so when I was working at Britannica, I just didn't. Uh, Simon, my boyfriend, was a bit dull, but anyway, they were They wasn't really a big drinker. Um, and university, so I learned to smoke in that first three months or four months at. Coventry and um, but really learned to drink when I went to work wow. and uh, you know her husband used to come pick us up we used to work I worked in Oxford Street and it was great and so and she you know she sort of taught me my job really you know really and I loved it actually it was a really really great job and we mm. had some really really great times but again after about two years so I was there for about two years and then wanted to go to art college after that and I actually went to Manchester for a... Oh, where your daughter Alice yeah, is now. Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. Oh. And the most embarrassing interview in the world because I didn't know anything about art, really, and they asked me what papers I read, and I said, oh, I read The Guardian, and I think they meant sort of what art papers you read. It, <laughs> it was a disaster, and then I went for Oh, a, we've yeah, all got a story oh, like that, it was a disaster. don't worry. So I didn't get in there, and then I went to Middlesex Poly to do... Um, what well, the intention was for me to go and do screen printing, actually, a bit late, mm-hmm. Mum, but... When I got there, I had to do a six-month foundation uh, with some other modules. And when I got to go to the art school to do the printing, all the print tables were full up. So I ended up doing Weave. Hated that and ended up just doing a modular English art. Was it English Literature Studies and Art History degree? Um, I'd moved out of home by then. Um, but there's like there was a little sort of an intervening period because when I was in Encyclopedia Cyc- Encyc- Cyc- Britannica, my sister was at Leicester. So I used to spend a lot of time going up there and partying, which is where oh, I met okay. Chris. Cool. Um, but I also had, you know, um, so when I went to Middlesex, I was not living at home. But we'd moved up to Caledonian Road. Okay. Sort of Camden. And, but I oh, was, nice. yeah, I was going in day in, day out. But, you know, it was a bit more, I wasn't, it wasn't like a, mm. um, a campus university. So, and I was, by then I was sort of a class as a mature student. Sure. So didn't really get the full university, you know, experience there either. But actually mm. it didn't really matter because my sister had also moved come back from Leicester I moved in with her and Chris and some other people that she knew from Leicester so we, I sort of went from joining them in their work lives really while I was sort of being a student as well so okay cool that was an interesting little interlude yeah, yeah. so where did you where did you grow up in London before you moved to Caledonian Road we moved uh, we, we were born in Catford okay which is southeast six deepest darkest south <laughs> London in the early 60s okay. and then um, so we lived there until I was 18 and my parents moved to Eltham mm-hmm. so all in South London. So how was growing up there? Um, well quiet I was me and my sister I say because I was a twin she was a little bit well we were just really 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 shy really really shy. Wouldn't you say, both? We, yeah she was a slightly bit more outgoing than me but we were really really shy and I think sometimes actually being twins um I don't know whether that's part of it, but you you sort of find that you don't necessarily have to go out and find loads of friends because you sort of got each yeah. other. And so we did. We were just very quiet. Um, parents didn't really have a lot of money. They did do everything for us, I must say. We weren't expected mm. to sort of, you know, clean, change our beds or hoover them. We had to iron our own shirts. Went to the girls' grammar school, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> How so? Uh, well, we went from being quite bright 
sort of up to the age of 11 at our little primary school. Mm -hmm. um, and the options were uh, Catford County, which was colloquially called Catford Cowshed, <laughs> or going to nice. the girls' grammar. Um, my brother had gone to the equivalent of the girls' school, Catford Boys, and uh, didn't really succeed. You know, he sort of found the pub at 14 and stuff like that. And my parents okay. were not educated, although I'm not saying they, they weren't educated in terms of universities, no universities, they all left school at sort of 14. So they didn't really get that sort of that sort of education thing. And it, and it got to a point when they, when they couldn't help us anymore yeah. academically. So going from being bright in this little primary school to going to a girls' grammar, which obviously everybody from the whole of the area came to, was mortifying because you suddenly became inconsequential, not very bright, not very confident, extremely shy, mixing with a load of, we used to call the, the Blackheath Trendies, the kids of parents that, you know, that were teachers or were lecturers, you know, and they were all loose okay. and loungy and lovely and smoking so dope. So quite middle class, basically. Really, really middle class. So the Blackheath, Blackheath, but people came from everywhere. So consequently, your friends had gone to the other sort of local schools. You sort of just lost touch with them a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we sort of made friends with people, really, that we didn't go to our primary school with. But because everybody lived so far away, you know, because they were coming from all sorts all over the place, that sort of social thing didn't really happen. Mm. And then so we started going to the boys' discos when we were about... 15 at the rugby club and then you know sort of things kicked off but yeah. if you're not very confident and you've got all these well I mean you probably know about this you've got really 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 bright kids around you and if you haven't got the confidence to just sort of stick your hand up you know then you just get lost in the mire yeah. so actually didn't do very well okay so you've... okay actually okay to O level um but not very well at all was that something that you kind of consciously struggled with at the time or is it only something in hindsight that you're no I think at the time aware of? I think at the time so I remember felt... my French teacher telling me off once just saying this is just absolutely appalling you know this is really really bad because I th I probably I thought that I was still quite bright and uh, um, because we were so shy you sort of just go in and do your work but I think because there was yeah. no real um academic backup from my parents you know there's no way that we could sort of go home and say oh I can't do this because once you got to a certain point when we were about 13 or 14 then they just couldn't help anymore mm. you know and I can't help couldn't help my kids after a certain point but I think we sort of just put our heads down and just let it go over your head. Didn't really fight for it because you weren't necessarily sort of encouraged at home. Yeah, and you need help to, yeah, to yeah, fight yeah. for things like yeah, that, yeah, don't yeah. you? So you we sort of guidance. just, it was a real, very sort of, um, I say up to GCSE or O-level, it was okay. Did all right. Mm. Once it got to that point when you've got to start really, really wanting to do it, really thinking about it, really knowing what you want to do, then it just went just didn't bother. I mean, I got terrible A-levels, mm. terrible A-level results. And the only reason, this is where my mum did come into it, the only reason I got my R-A-level was because um, the night before, you know, you have to do like a, I can't remember what it is now, a 10-hour sort of preppy thing. And I'd gone to the pub because I couldn't do anything. And I came back and my mum had drawn two little sort of four-inch square designs and they were just brilliant. So I took those and did them and did a screen print and it was mm -hmm. based on a market store and got a B which nice. is pretty much is I got a B and an E in English but you know so that I thank for so that yeah. was uh, you know after all those years that was the one thing without that I wouldn't have got any A-levels so, so that was the first time that your mum kind of stepped in with yeah, academics. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was just sort of doodling, really, you know. Wow. So and so that was great. So thank you, mum, because I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I honestly, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't even have got that. Mm. I probably wouldn't have gone to the exam. So what kind of um, what kind of adulthood did you see in your parents? Because that's definitely something that's been coming up a lot. Is people are quite aware of the difference 
you know, different styles of parenting and how you let children kind of impact your adulthood when you were growing up and when your generation were growing up, that it's quite different to how things are now. So. Yeah, yeah, yes, I think because I think they, my parents were not very wealthy. You know, my dad was a plumber, did move on to becoming a heating inspector for the local mm-hmm. council. My mum went to, started off as sort of dinner lady at school just as we were leaving primary school. She was a florist before that, but very sort of basic bog standard working class my dad grew up in the slums in Deptford, you know, and my mum was in Greenwich, both the youngest of four. My dad was a bit of a mummy's boy. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum was typical sort of housewife, you know, did everything from cooked dinners. Did yeah. all the, it, it, and also then, I don't know, it doesn't sound, you know, my dad was always back up as five. He worked local, always back up as five, dinner on the table, you know, sort of meat to veg. They were very standard, very loving, loving, not loving in terms of hugs and kisses, but very sort of... Um, my mum particularly was also very shy, but she would do everything. You know, she mm-hmm. was always cook. She would be there making us porridge in the mornings, you know. And uh, But it was almost like they did what they needed to do. They, we, we would never be classed as friends with our parents. Okay. My mum was, yeah, quite shy, a little bit put on, put upon, I should think, by my dad, who I won't say bully, but he was quite sort of traditional, bit of a bad temper. Okay. Used to be quite... My brother, I think, got the brunt end of actually his temper quite a lot. I remember them arguing an awful lot, my mum and dad. Mm. Um, we've got holiday photos when, you know, you're in a holiday camp somewhere and you just know that they've had this enormous row. You know, my dad's got a face of stone. My mum looks like she's been crying. We're sort of sitting on her lap. <laughs> so I remember that a lot. But I do, you know, also, you know, my dad was a, he did an amazing job. You know, yeah. he came from nowhere, really. None of them had any education. You know, at one point he had three jobs. You know, he was working as a plumber. He was running a youth club. He was refereeing Sunday league football. Um, you know, so they did. And he bought a house. My grandparents lived with us to help them buy it. He spent all of his spare time doing the house up. You know, so they did all the right things. But it is a generational thing. I, I yeah. didn't think at the time that, you know. It was out of the ordinary. It was out of the ordinary. You know, they, mm. they just did. And because, I think, because Sue and I were slightly... Not Sue, Sue, your twin sister. Sue, my Sorry, twin yeah. sister. Because I think we, because we were twins, and we did have friends, but we didn't sort of spend lots of time going to other people's houses. Yeah. Partly because a lot of them lived a long way away. You didn't really see how other how other families worked, you know. Okay. And I think in hindsight, you would probably say that some of those parents of those kids would have been more probably like my generation as a parent, sort of a bit more sort of friendly and um, you know, and inclusive, and mm. and I think we were just kids my parents just did what they needed to do was put a roof over our head make sure we were fed you know make sure we had clothes yeah. you know but we, they didn't have a lot of money my auntie dolly used to buy us every birthday me and my sister a matching outfit you know from Deptford market mm. that she'd come back you know they used to you know so that was it they just got on with it but they weren't sort of um yeah they weren't huggy kissy types sure. but they were they did everything for us mm. so there's a kind of did you feel particularly self-sufficient or did you feel quite dependent on them growing um, up? Or? I didn't really feel, no, not really dependent. I mean, I think I looked at my diary and it's like there's a lot of sitting in my bedroom, washing my hair, reading my diary, <laughs> reading a book. We had a little telly in our room, watching TV, yeah. you know, when we were a little bit older. So not really, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, we didn't sit down and socialise with them. We'd have dinner and then we'd go up to our room. Or my mm-hmm. sister, when she was a bit older, would be going out. You know, so it was quite, it was quite... Um, yeah, it wasn't very sociable, but I mean, it wasn't unfriendly. We just sort of had mm. nothing, 16, 15, didn't really have anything to say, nothing in common. Yeah. You know, my mum would sort of just, she would, you know, it's like a, 
you know, it's very traditional, so she wouldn't be sitting down till nine o'clock, you know, after she'd done the washing up and, of course, no dishwashers and stuff like mm. that. And then she didn't watch telly, you know, so even, you know, just take teenagers. I wasn't going out a lot, but I would go and sit in my room and, you know, watch TV or read a book or, yeah. or as my daughter said, wash my hair, went to bed. You know, it's like uh, not very exciting. <laughs> Riveting. Not very exciting. Well, but you, so, so you are going to discos at 14? 15. 15, sorry. 15, just before the low sixth to the, to the Askian Boys Rugby Club. So was that... In any kind of rebellion against your parents? No, not really. It was just, thank God, that there's... Well, I think it was partly because these sort of... Um, these Blackheath trendies, as we used to call them, there were some really lovely boys, you know, mm. and it was about sort of... They have to notice us, they have to notice us, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So once we started going to that, you sort of become a little bit more of the pack. Never really included, mm. but... Um, my dad was really good. He'd come pick us up. And actually, this is quite interesting as well, because they used to really like my dad. You know, my dad would go in and you know, pick us up at 12 o'clock and have a good old chat. You know, people really liked my... And yeah. also, they really liked my mum. They'd come in and really flirt with my mum at the kitchen sink and stuff like that. So, <laughs> But you don't really remember that at the time. Yeah. You know, it's just so... Um, yeah, no, so they were good people. Not very exciting. You know, traditional. Sort of, yeah. My dad was born in uh, 1930... Sorry, 1928. Wow. You know, my mum was born in 1931. So not far off the Victorian age, really. You know, her parents, they were all born in the 18... 18- 80s you know so it's like um and being the youngest of four she had much too much older sisters that were pretty much often married when she was growing up you know and um just they just sort of mm. did they didn't have you know my mum did go to work but you know she'd get up at six go to the floor spend all day in the cellar doing the flowers you know then go home and then she had the kids well she wasn't young I mean to be honest but you know I think she was quite late getting married and just I think very shy and no confidence mm. and I think that's probably filtered through both my sister and I actually, confidence is what we lack. Mm. Was that something that kind of you felt was a, a childhood thing to grow out of, or does that lack still, of confidence? Yeah, never grown out of it. So it's kind of quite intrinsic. Learn to cover it up. Mm. But is it some? You know, is it something that you picked up as a child and then it kind of influenced you later, or do you really think it's just been a? I constant? think it's just intrinsic. I don't think yeah. I haven't really noticed it until much later on and probably somebody told me in fact mm. it would probably have been Chris my husband would have probably told me much later on that what you suffer from what not suffer from your problem well, yeah. is lack of I confidence and I think that's very true and I think you know when I learned to drink it didn't matter because then you could just get drunk and you know just talk over people which actually I still do do <laughs> and I think confidence has been a big thing mm. in terms of career you know can you do this? Can I do this? Somebody's going to be better than me. I don't want to do this. I've got the confidence. You know, it's not as much getting on the bus and going to the interview. It's like, you know, actually going, when you get the job, can I do it? And yeah, I think that's always I been, really get that. it's always been the same. Mm. So did that, did that make adulthood quite a scary thing to you? Uh, no, not really, because I, no, it didn't make it scary. I just sort of, I guess I just went with what I thought were my limitations. Okay. So I wouldn't, I wasn't looking to achieve anything in particular. Okay. You know, my first job after university, I just went down to, um, um, I'd said I wanted to go into publishing and my English tutor had said, well, you, you need to learn to punctuate a bloody blah first. <laughs> You'll never get into publishing. I found a tiny little ad in one of the little London papers, I can't remember, Hammersmith looking for a, copy, a sub-editor, I didn't even know what it was. Went down there, uh, interviewed by Reg, who was the art director, and he looked at me, he looked me up and down and he went... Um, because I was quite slim and quite pretty, actually, I do say, when I was like 21 <laughs> years old. And he said, 25 I was then, actually, because I'd just done my, that second stint at university. And he said to me, uh, do you drink? And I said, oh, yes, I do. And he went, okay, then you can start. So I got this what? job. Honestly, it was back in the Why 80s. Why do you think that 
because that, that's what they, well because they were a very sociable company. Okay. Actually, the fact whether I could spell was irrelevant. It was like um, so you it wanted was very, me to fit in. Wanted me to fit in. It was kind of nice, I guess. No, it was really nice. And you know, to be honest, that was perfect. I'd never done any editing. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, come along. You know, six thousand pounds went along. It was the best job. I've ever had. That's kind of infuriating to me, actually. Yeah, I mean, it was, and I, I don't think I got, I was there for about, I never really got a new job. I, I, well, I stayed there for about eight or nine years, and then I moved on to a, a similar sort of publishing company before I had the kids. Mm. So that was my post-university pre-kids job, mm. and it was brilliant. I mean, it wasn't well paid. Sure. But um, in terms of sort of, you know, we were quite young. I was, I was 25. You know, other people were maybe a bit younger than me, but all that sort of age, you know, it was married, Nobody had kids, you know, so it was just a big sort of party, actually. Did you enjoy the big party? I loved it. I loved it. You could smoke in the office in those days, you know, we used God. to go to have at lunchtime. You know, we did do a bit of work. But, wow. um, and I learned a lot. <laughs> I did learn an awful lot, I must say. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so that was good. And if I could go back, if, if, if I could go back, what would be the years that you would go back to? It would be 25 to 28. It was just brilliant. I so did you feel, ball. you know, comfortable in your... Yeah, yeah, circumstances yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody was doing the same, you know, it was like, I think there were people that, um, I had a girlfriend, Belinda, that she, she used to go to our boss every six months and ask for a pay rise, wow. and she'd come out, I'd say, would you get one? She goes, yeah, and I said, well, how did you do that? She goes, well, I just asked, <laughs> and I could never do that, yeah. so I sat there for five or six years, just taking, I mean, we got an incremental one, I guess, Yeah. but I just sat there five, six years, and it didn't really matter, because I didn't have in my head, I, I, I need to progress here. Mm. I was just having a bit of a ball. It was great. I learned a lot. The people were amazing. Did you feel any kind of external pressure to start thinking about it as a as, nope. as a progression? No, nope. no, nope. because the people just... that were the editors then were the clever people. They were the really bright, you know, sort of people that got their really good degrees. Wow. And, and so but, felt... but were dedicated. And had come up from a different path. You yeah. know, they they'd gone. Neil, for example, who was on writers, had gone to public school. You know, so he had a sort. Of, yeah. He had a sort of. He had a plan. This other woman, Claire, who um, did the same thing, came from a slightly different route. I mean, I'd, I'd gone to university, but, you know, and I got my 2-1, but it didn't actually, it was sort of, it wasn't something that I desperately needed, and therefore that would help me in my progression. I just got the job, and, and that was fine. I had a great, 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 great time. So you felt knowingly uh, kind of separate from the editors and people that had gone to private school and... Well, uh, um, in terms of yeah, your... probably, probably, but not not so much Neil Claire, but she was a very sort of very posh girl. Mm. You know, she came from Hampstead, and you know, and she was the first person I ever met. And this is in nineteen eighty eight, something like that. Mm. The first person I'd ever met that said, "I'm having people round for supper." What <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell is that dinner or tea? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But she, but she was very nice. But I think I was because I was. It, it, it was like, oh my god, I can't go back with her. She's really bright. She's really clever. She'll probably see the failings wow. in me. Whereas in, you're in a big group, you can sort of just get away with it. Mm. And you know, if you're in that sort of, it's not quite the typing pool, but you know, if you're in that sort of little area, you, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. in a little team, and everybody's sort of just mucking in, and there's no sort of, you know, there's like no one to ones, and other than my first day when my editor gave big red pens, but you know, I think it was just easy, and yeah. and we could all do the job, and it was all very nice, and it was all very successful, and you know, we were, they were making lots of money. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like. And I felt that she would, she, I felt that I wouldn't be able to do what she wanted me to do. Okay. So I kept her at a bit of a distance. But she was, you know, in hindsight, she was a very nice woman. Did you think that was because of your lack of confidence yeah. or because you felt from a different kind of background bit of both. to them? A bit, of both. bit of both. I think probably, I think probably both. 
I think the lack of confidence and probably the lack of not a very sort of um, very experience in sort of the work environment that she was somebody I'd never met before. Mm-hmm. I'd never met anybody from this background growing up or even at university, really. You know, and maybe you don't know to the university because you're sort of mucking in. But there she was. She spoke differently. You know, she looked differently. She was she was she was what I would call grown up. OK, she wasn't. She was a bit older than me, but not by much, by a couple of years or something. But her background mm. was... And she was just a very different person. You know, she was just very, yeah. very sort of... Well, just clever. I just thought she was really clever. Mm. And I, and, but I think... So the insecurity, the lack of confidence in my own head said, I won't be able to work with her because I won't be able to do what she wants me to do. Or she will think, how have you kept this job for seven years when you're rubbish? Mm. So I was much happier just saying where I was without putting myself into that position of actually... Of actually um, putting myself in the position where she might criticise me. Yeah. So we've been we've been talking a lot, um, well, everyone that's come on the podcast, I've, we've ended up talking about the difference between grown up as quite an internal feeling and adulthood as quite a like factual external mm. label. Mm. So to you, you saw Claire as grown up mm. because she was confident and, mm. you know, self-assured. Mm. So is that something that you kind of wanted to to grow into or you just didn't no she was so far outside of my comfort zone Mm. that I didn't know how to approach it Mm. you know it was just I don't know how you know she spoke differently I mean she obviously didn't she spoke English but she used big words and you know somebody says supper you're like (laughs) I've had my tea at five o'clock you don't know your supper for me was milk and biscuits you know eight o'clock or whatever and I think it was but that's that sort of I probably didn't think exactly that at the time but I knew she was very different to me okay. and I perceived her as yeah and it is my own lack of confidence I perceived her that she would look down on me in terms of you can't do this job mm. she probably wouldn't have done yeah no, she sure. probably absolutely wouldn't have done but I think you know because I was quite happy where I was you know and sometimes when we did change edits and stuff I used to cross my fingers and please please don't let me work with her Wow. But that's my own. That would be my own lack of confidence. I would probably find yeah. it, you know. And I used to say that to her lots. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, I can't do this. And I'm just getting through this by the skin of my teeth, you know. And if you ask Chris, my husband, one of my editors, my editor once said to me, I wrote this piece, and he said it was absolutely brilliant. It's the best piece of writing. It was only a kids' non-fiction thing, you know. And he yeah. still says that. And actually, you, you go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Maybe I can do it after all. But, you know, yeah. I think I didn't really push myself. I was Never happy. becomes instinct, though, does it? No. Imposter syndrome, I, I think they that. call it. Yeah. I've been talking to people at work, currently where I work, about imposter syndrome. And, and she reckons, this woman, Anna, that there's about, there's 23 of us in our office. She reckons at least 15 or 16 of them have got impos- <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I definitely have. Well, I guess you work for a publication. So well, how, how, much of, how much of that... Uh, office room is is people doing editing and proofreading and stuff all of us all of you so do you think it's because it's maybe quite an introverted profession yeah well it's interesting um it's website we have yeah so i'm a copy editor the two of us mm-hmm. copy editing itself is quite yeah it's quite um sort of sit behind your yeah. computer and sort of just get on with it and i'm quite happy i'm one of four of the oldest people and the rest are quite young i'm possibly quite happy just to sit behind my computer do my job without lifting my head above the parapet, mm. you know, just go on with it. And that's partly because I think I'm too old. Secondly, <laughs> it's because I've got nothing to say to these youngsters because they're all really young and talking yeah. about music and stuff like that. But actually, I've learned, this job has learned has taught me a lot that I didn't know before, that actually yeah. you're absolutely fine to put your head above the parapet and go, well, actually, I don't agree. Or just be yourself. Yeah. 
And they do not look at me as the old granny in the corner. Of course they don't. I look at myself as the old granny in the corner. Yeah. Carolyn and I sit there and talk. I mean, we've got kids the same sort of age, you know. So we sort of talk about our kids and our husbands and, you know, and... Uh, and so we we sort of say, well, they don't want to talk to us, but actually they do. Yeah. And they're really sweet. Here we are right now. Well, exactly. <laughs> and they're really sweet. And I think, you know, it's, it's again, that sort of lack of confidence. They don't want to talk to me, mm. but actually they do. Yeah. And they're really sweet. And that's been, it's been really important for my confidence, actually. Yeah. Well, I guess you, you know. I'm much more of a social being, I think. And I don't, yeah. I don't. So in terms of sort of the work, I do still think I can't do this. I'm really rubbish. Mm. One of the editors will always come over and go, oh, you've not put a comma in the right place. And you just go, oh. You know, so little things like that. But then she's... Time to quit. She's like, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. You know, and she's a, she's a massive sort of... Um, she's really clever. She's 24 going on 40. I mean, she's an adult. She's an adult at 24. Yeah. Whereas I'm not even a grown-up or an adult 30 years on. So my insecurities are still my insecurities. So when a 24-year-old comes over and says, oh, you're supposed to come off? I go, okay, it doesn't matter. But what I've learned is it just goes over my head. Yeah. Excuse me, Carolyn, my colleague, gets really upset. Mm. And then she gets, and I just go, Carolyn, it doesn't matter, you know, well, they're not going to sack us because we've made it, you know. Yeah. So I've learned, actually, just to say, okay, it's fine, sorry, sorry, put it in. Well, that's a good thing to learn, even if however late. <laughs> well, exactly, I mean, it's not that late, mm. I've probably got another 20 years of work yet, so, you know. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, you know, it, it's something that, like, absolutely rings true with me, like, being sociable, but then also being quite unconfident mm. in a, like, personal sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, that's what almost everyone has has said to me, you know, in terms of how I fare in the next like few decades is to just like have confidence and exactly trust your instincts exactly. and you know be yourself. Exactly. And it's, it, it all seems quite platitudinous, but it's not. It, it's, it's not. not because it's kind of this whole positive affirmation thing. Like the more you say it, the more likely it is to be. Exactly. I think you have to. You do have to convince. I mean, I, I when I was your age, probably wasn't thinking that I needed to do that. Mm. we sort of just talked about it's come to me much later I mean I still don't think that I'm great at my job you know and I'm you know oh somebody's going to be doing that but you know actually it's much more now it's like you know and Chris my husband Chris has been brilliant you know you can do it you're great at it you know they you know you're really good at your job la 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 mm. so he's really helped that as well but I still think there's just a little click somewhere in my head has just gone actually it doesn't matter yeah and even if I'm not confident that the the sort of my feelings that I'm not confident happen much less often yeah and it's just like what the hell why does it matter Mm. you know one they're not going to stack me you know secondly if they do then they do you know but they won't because Mm. I'm not I'm not making mistakes you know so it's been it is quite but that sort of that sort of um what is confidence and when do I get it and how do I get it came much later in life Mm. so how how did that relate to your twin sister do you feel like you had different levels of self-confidence or you um, said that you were both quite shy but we were horribly shy she was a little bit braver than me when we were about 14 or 15 mm-hmm. she, she used to go to Woolwich Tram Shed with some friends and I had a boyfriend at the time who was a bit of a Woolwich Tram Shed Woolwich Tram Shed it was please, like please elaborate oh it was a it was like a sort of a little venue down in Woolwich, in Woolwich where, near where we lived and they used to have sort of stand up comedy and, oh, and stuff okay, like that cool. and bands Squeeze he used to play down there and stuff like that so, so she used to do she was out a lot more but, you know, it's a cover-up. You know, we were, both, we were both quite shy. And she, yeah, sort of found her way out a little bit earlier. I had a boyfriend that was a bit dull. Yeah, no, we are very similar, Sue and I. We, we you know, we scream and shout. Well, when we were younger, we would scream and shout at each other face-to-face off. You know, face-offs. <laughs> but we were thinking about the same thing. And I think yeah. maybe that twin thing is, like, just trying to get 
final word or just to get your say mm. but actually we were saying exactly the same thing and when we lived together up in North London you know people the next morning would wake up and go fuck what went on there and we go what what are you talking about you know we'd have had this massive screaming fight you know what happened then I don't know it's just what we do so we were so similar <laughs> yeah so I think probably sort of um yeah emotionally and stuff we do we are the same but our lives have gone slightly different ways but I, I suspect in terms of emotionally and lack of confidence we are still the same it's just it's just shown itself in different ways so tell me about university because you said that you left about after a term Coventry was my first year we're back to a term and a half well, I went to Coventry to do a four-year business studies mm-hmm. degree when I should have gone to art school and did a foundation. But I was too scared because everybody at art foundation would have been trendy and fashionable and just mm. not for me. So I went to do a business studies degree. Yeah, it was. I mean, the first term was all right. I met a boyfriend who was horrible, but he was exciting. Realised that this course wasn't for me. And uh, yeah, I went off to do the, the sandwich placement. Not in touch with anybody that I met there. Mm. So it was so it was just the course or yeah no, it was just the course okay it was just the course and I, I didn't really make any really good friends I had this yeah. I, I met this boy Alan and I was supposed to go back after that sort of, that sandwich break mm. and um, but we me and the college decided that you know that it wasn't yeah. to be and I was still seeing Alan for a while but then he turned a bit you know it went a bit sour with him and mm. but, so was it were you kind of disappointed when that happened like were you quite excited to go to university did you feel like it was a big stepping stone uh, yeah I think I probably did because I wanted to get away I wanted to, I didn't desperately want to get away from home but I knew that well like, I not desperate to the point of you know clawing at the walls mm-hmm. but I knew that you know that was the way out yeah. So that's why I did it. But then, you know, ironically, I did that sort of couple of terms and then came back to London to work and I was living back at home anyway. Mm. So it was... Um, but then I think probably after that two years doing that sandwich placement thing, I knew that I needed to go to college. Yeah. But clearly you, you wanted a way out that was something that you loved and you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think which so. Which is, you know... Which is why I wanted to go back to do the art course. At least but there's some integrity there to Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, I don't remember desperately, desperately wanting... I think probably... While I was doing the sandwich placement at Encyclopedia Britannica, my sister Sue was at university. Mm-hmm. So I used to spend quite a lot of weekends going up to see her. And I think that probably triggered it as well. I can't do this living at home, you know, while they're all having, having a great time. So that's probably also partly what triggered it. Mm. Probably if I wasn't, you know, if I'd have studied in BT when I left home, when I first left school, I could probably been, you know, who knows, see a bloody BT or something and retired at 50, you know. Yeah. But I think, so that, that first college two terms or something was quite good and I quite enjoyed it I hated the course but having done that placement and really enjoyed being at work you know in Oxford Street it was quite exciting you yeah. know met some really nice people again it was quite sociable and I sort of just fell into that for a couple of years mm. and it, and I, I suspect it probably was um, Sue and Chris and all those people still being at college that made me think I need to actually go and do that. So those those years that you said you would go back to if you were given the option talk to me about the atmosphere and you know how you were feeling in terms of being happy in your job and well I think it's probably I was I think because Chris and I were seeing each other seeing each other on and off from the age of 22 to when I got that job um and I think that job for me I think we'd split up at that point I can't remember now it's happened so many times um that job for me was like this is it now Mm. 25 I mean 25 I was a little bit older than some of the others but this is it. I'm in Hammersmith, living in my own flat with friends, earning money, this amazing company, great people, 
great fun, you know, and I will get back to the fact that you can smoke in the office and we used to go to the pub a lot. So it was really sociable. And in terms of sort of, you know, there was no big stress on what you did or what you didn't do. I mean, obviously, yeah. I must have been doing an okay job because, I, I mean, nobody ever called me up to say you're not doing a very good job. So I must have been doing. Mm. But I think it was, I think the whole social, the whole social thing of that job, which was just brilliant. Because I wasn't thinking, oh my God, I've got to climb the ladder and I want to do this and I want to do that. For me, it was just, I, you know, I had money. I could go and buy some clothes and, you know, and lived up in London, you know, living up in London with a group of friends and, you know, friends at work. And it was just a great time. Mm. No stress, no worries. I think probably. And so, so towards the end of that, so Chris and I must have split up and then we got back together. I mean, I was rubbish with money. So he sort of came along and said, oh, I mean, Chris is sort of dealt with all my financial problems ever <laughs> you know he made me say oh let's go traveling around the world so he, you know he paid off my credit card and made me save money and then we went traveling so he sort of you know he sort of picked me out of all those sorts of you know financial crises when I just spent all the money that I had mm. you know, never had any money I mean it was always enough to pay my rent and you know and just go down the pub yeah. but I think because I I didn't have the I didn't see myself as progressing in that that job yeah therefore it didn't worry me that I wasn't progressing to the job and for that three or four years it was just it was just a mm. bit of a party it was great you said you were you could buy clothes what kind of clothes were you buying oh, I don't know. cheap ones probably were you affiliated with any particular groups I've had I've spoken to a lot of punks on this no podcast. not no no <laughs> punks too scary for me no I was a bit of an 80s girl I suppose I had sort of a couple of jigsaw trouser suits oh nice and uh, yeah, sort of linen dresses from jig. I was a bit of a jigsaw girl actually, little okay. jigsaw dresses and stuff like that. But you know, generally for work, it was just mm. jeans and stuff. But so, what decade were you in that office in? Eighties. Eighties. Well, I, I uh, so I was twenty five when I joined. So nineteen eighty eight. So mm -hmm. late eighties into into yeah. mid nineties. And how was that workplace for you in terms of gender politics that was um, going on at the time? I don't think it was very high priority. It was quite a mixed bag. It wasn't mm. it definitely wasn't all boys. There were a lot of girl, a lot of women. Although well, senior management were predominantly mm. men. But in terms of how was it something that you noticed at all? Not really. Maybe no. any kind of like. No. I was probably too scared to get into politics. To be honest, I just kept my mm. head down and just enjoyed the party. I think I don't remember. To be honest, I don't remember. There probably should have been, but I don't remember there being any gender political squabbles. Okay. I don't remember. But then probably. They probably did go on, but I just didn't get myself involved. Mm. Just sort of sat back and let it all go over my head. Okay. Well, that's good, I yeah. guess. But I don't, I don't really <laughs> Hopefully remember. Hopefully there were none. Well, there probably were. Yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm, just in, I'm just intrigued because obviously I'm I'm working with like quite, um, you know, juvenile images of 80s officers that I'm getting from movies like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, well. That's what I think of when I think of an 80s workplace. So I'm just quite intrigued because we talk a lot about feminism, you and me now. So Yeah, um, didn't really notice it, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I, just, I just didn't really notice it. I think we were all bloody drunk all the time, to be honest. So I think, <laughs> but I think it was, I think probably... For me, I never, I didn't really get political until much later. Mm. The politics did come much, much later on. I think for me, that that work period was just, you know, it was it was a bit of a. It, 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 I don't think I even grew up really, but it was. I don't. No, I don't think I ever really grew up, and I don't actually ever think became an adult. It was just mm. the next step between college, and what came next. Really, I think. Yeah. And I didn't really think about it. I just went to work, did my job badly or well, whatever, mm. and. Just did the same thing the next day. But we, we we must have had, we must have had, there must have been conversations. There must have been, but I honestly couldn't, mm. I can't re recall one. Well, that's, you know, that's yeah. good, isn't it? Well, it and is happy. good. 
it's good, but is it good? I mean, maybe I should have been more aware of it then. But I think that all comes back to, you know, who you are, what you think. Yeah. I remember once, I mean, the only time I actually remember, it wasn't even gender. I remember we were in the pub somewhere, of course, and uh, some bloke or somebody was talking about, we were up in Islington, I think, and some guy was talking about um, oh, people on the doll, and I just remember turning around to him and going, and do you know how hard it is to fill in the doll for me? I don't know. <laughs> and I just went off on one. And yeah. that's probably about the only time I actually remember making any political yeah. statement at all. But in terms of sort of... Um, Gender politics, I don't recall. Mm. So class politics, maybe class would have been more would have affected me more yeah. than gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was much more aware of yeah of Claire and Neil coming from a completely different world mm. to me than I would have been sort of arguments going on between men and women okay. because of all the people that I worked with were just people like me really I think mm. or whatever. So yeah, no, I don't really don't don't recall. I mean, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. I do not recall. No, I don't. I don't remember there being any specific gender politics. But class management, class and management, mm. fell out with managers a few times. Really? Yeah. But um, because I was a bit mouthy about, you know, why is it that we do all the work? We're doing all the creative work and you oh, just sit there nice. and make all the money and you don't give us nice. anything. Nice. I got very political. Yeah, political, but not in terms of gender. Yeah, not in not in terms of that sort of gender politics, but in terms of class and, and of hierarchy. Yeah, definitely, I got mm. into serious trouble. Well, I you know I think if you if you were seeing it, I think you would have mm. been. So it seems like it been. wasn't around you. Well, maybe it, in that, maybe that maybe what maybe yeah. I mean, I'd never really been confronted with it. I guess mm. it never occurred to me. Didn't you know? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that I was not on top of the political tree. I wasn't, but things like that. You know, I think because coming from a very working class background. I was much more sort of political on a yeah on a class on a class level than mm. than gender. So you talked about Madge, I think it was as a, as a bit of a standout figure in one of your first jobs. Were there any other people in those years that were kind of mentors to you? No, not, uh, that would have been her in Cyprus Britannica. Then I guess um, so. Not in Cyprus Britannica. That was at British Telecom. Mm-hmm. Then Jane Webb that I worked with at Britannica. Mm-hmm. She was about ten years older than me. She was married and, you know, had a husband and didn't have kids. and um, So she was important to me as well. Mm-hmm. So then much more, I wouldn't have gone home to my parents and talked about sort of stuff that we talked about. I mean, I, I never opened up. I wasn't sit there and talk about my life or, you know, mm. I suppose pre and after Chris moments, I would have cried on somebody's shoulder. But I think probably Sue and I, she would have taken sort of more of that brunt than the people that I worked with. So Madge, when I was at Telecom, yeah, then um, Jane Webb, when I was at Britannica, then university, so the second stint at university when I was at Middlesex would have been with my peers. Mm. So we'd, I was in with Chris. Well, actually, I wasn't in with Chris. But I was in with my sister, and so that then would have been, they would have been the people that would have, that would have influenced me. And then we just grew up from there together. Really, mm. were you quite, um, were you quite dependent on a, a, a network or a circle of friends and people? Yeah, at that stage. I once once yeah. I was at. Uh, Orbis, actually. That, so that was the publishing company once I was 25. And because I was living with my sister and Chris, I was going out with Chris. And we had tight, they were her friends actually from Leicester. I didn't have a lot of my own friends from Coventry because I'd left so early. So yeah, they became my really sort of tight knit group. Mm. And, I, and I pretty much remained so, some of them, mm. ever since. So they would be, I would class them as my oldest friends. Yeah, nobody from school or my first college experience or even my second college experience. So yeah, so they were, the, they were like, we were just like a big team in the mm. sort of. Yeah, sort of late 80s to early 90s. So you went travelling with Chris. Uh-huh. Where did you go? We went to, we had six months in um, Central America. Mm-hmm. So all the way, Mexico all the way down to Venezuela. 
and then um, six months in Central and Southeast Asia with India and Nepal and stuff. So. Did you like travelling? Was it particularly? Yeah, like, it was amazing. Did it feel like a kind of discovery of? It did. It did. However, I was with Chris, so mm. I think, and he is. You know, I think I did rely on him an awful lot. I think I would have been it was a very different thing if I'd have gone with a girlfriend. Yeah. I think sort of. Um, yeah, we were quite a good team. You know, he's sort of, but he's a bit. He's a bit straighter than me. <laughs> sort of needs to get on straight now a little bit and. And I think, uh, yeah, it was it was good. You know, I'd read the guidebooks and, you know, and we'd sort of just, so I'd go, I want to go here. And he would sort of just sort of come with me and do what I wanted to do. And then, you know, it was, yeah, it was amazing. But probably I would I hadn't learned as much, I, I didn't learn as much as I would have done if I'd have gone either on my own or with a girlfriend. It was all mm. quite easy. Did you ever go away again with a girlfriend in that way? Or? No, not, no, not in that sense. No, that was it. And then... Uh, did we go again, Chris and I? I think we went to India again. We did some diving and stuff later on, but that was post kids. But no, 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 that was it. So that was the big, that was the big trip. And I'm glad I went with him. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Sure. It was amazing. But I do wonder, I would have had a completely different relation, different yeah. um, experience if I'd have gone with a girlfriend. I think. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was amazing. Yeah, no regrets. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, no God, you know, it was a whole year. It was amazing. Mm. In fact, it was about 16 months. Got my old job back when I came back. Nice. You know, and then a couple of years after, somewhere was that? I was, uh, I was, came back when I was, we were quite old. I mean, we went when I was 29, 30. So a couple of years after that, I had the kids. Well, Alice. Yeah, so obviously that's the next most obvious step in one's adulthood is having the buddies. Mm-hmm. So how was that for you? Bit of a shock, to be honest. I mean, they was weren't it planned. planned. No, they weren't no. Planned. Wow. Okay. I, know. I don't. Think, I didn't know I was pregnant with Alice for about three months. Wow. Because I was too busy smoking and drinking, and um, but then obviously I stopped. It was great. I, no, no, I did. I mean, I, I got a new job. Too late, actually, though. I had a new job by then. So I, actually, I wasn't drinking and smoking that much. I'd got a new job. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, it was. I love being pregnant. But really? I, yeah, yeah. I love being pregnant. Um, Why did you like being pregnant? I don't know. It's just I felt sort of. I don't know, you sort of feel womanly. Well, not even womanly, just <laughs> I think it's like getting out of that sort of routine, that rut of sort of going out drinking and smoking and stuff like that. Okay. It sort of felt healthy and sort of, I don't actually ever, I didn't feel, oh my God, I'm an adult, I'm having a baby. Mm. It sort of just happened and I like, I did, I really enjoyed being pregnant. Being a mother of a very young child wasn't so great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, I, I do not believe anybody that says, oh, it was amazing. Yeah, of course. It was a bloody nightmare. Chris was at work, obviously, full time. You know, he wouldn't get until seven o'clock. It took, mm. I think it took me about 18 wow. months before I actually gave him the baby. Well, she wasn't a baby by then. Before he went upstairs and had a shower, go on, go and have a shower, go and have a shower. You know, so it took me about, probably about a year to say, right, you're not going to have a shower, he's your baby. You know, but it, I loved it. You know, yeah. she was great. Alice was a great baby. Then Tom came along. You know, you just do it, really. Yeah. I'm not sure that um, it's. I don't know. It it just was. Mm. So you didn't feel like you had to make any kind of conscious changes to. Not your... conscious. I think it just happens. It just sort of happens. Mm. You know. You know, obviously that you got the, there's certain things that you can't do. Didn't go out anywhere really. You know. You know. There's no tire. The house is a mess. You always look like shit. You know. But I I didn't. It, it, I didn't find it a struggle. I didn't find it easy. I didn't resent it. I, I mean, I quite liked it, mm. but um, at the time, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. So, and it, but it sort of just happened. I don't think I consciously switched from being who I was to being somebody else. Mm. I think it just—it's just a natural change. 
you know, I didn't go, okay, gotta be, gotta be this sort of person now because I've got the kids. You sort of, you just move with them. Okay. And they sort of, you know, they lead you in, you know, you know, you have to do this, you've got to get up, you've got to get them to school, you've got to feed them, you know. And a lot of that is sort of just a natural progression, I think. Mm. And maybe with that becomes a bit of maturity. I think maturity is probably slightly different to adulthood and or grown up. I think maturity sort of comes, you, you, you adapt your behaviour to the situation. But I don't think it was conscious. So... In terms of your kind of issues with confidence that you've always experienced, how did that come into play when you were a mother? Um, I think it probably helped confidence issues because you don't really, I don't, you just, it's like you don't, you can't really think about it. It's, you know, it's not like trying to be in a workplace with somebody else that you might think is brighter than you mm. or is prettier than you or is posher than you or whatever and, and, and not fitting in that. I think as a parent or as a mother, it, it's just you and them. You know, mm. so I don't have any reason to feel unconfident unless, you know, you saw somebody else whose child looks immaculate. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's probably quite different now because of social media. Yeah. Huge bubbles of social yeah. media about motherhood and yeah. parenting. And I'm sure there were times when I look at one of, you know, one of the parents I met at Parentcraft or something and going, ooh, ooh. You know, mm. but they say, oh, my baby's going to have a nap at two o'clock every afternoon. And I'd go put me in a buggy and walk around the park you know it's like so I'm sure there were moments when I'd go I don't do that yeah. but um I I, the, I never felt competitive so I think in terms of I mean I don't think I'm that competitive anyway but in terms of confidence I just it just didn't matter because it was me mm. and the it's me and the kids and you do what you need to do I'm not always saying it was right I'm not even saying mm. it was perfect you know I'm sure I did loads of stuff wrong but I didn't ever compare myself to anybody else well mm. not occasionally but not it, it wasn't part of my how do I bring these kids up you just yeah. do what you need to do and I mean I'm happy I'm not saying I just brought them up because I had to you know you, you I you know you love your kids of course it's like oh and you, and you do what you need to do you trust it trust it trust the process trust it trust it yeah 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 and I'm sure I got loads of stuff wrong but you'll have to ask <laughs> yeah, you have to ask them that. You know, that's not my place to say. Well, welcome my next guest. Well, exactly. <laughs> Alice, please come in. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we can round it up with some quick fire questions. Go on then. I asked you to prepare a song yes. um, that reminds you of the stuff we've been talking about. Well, the song that I choose, and it's like, I did think about this. I was going to go back to the 80s and do a Tracy Thorne number, but I thought, no. I'm going to go with Gold, Spandau Ballet. Nice. It came to me quite late in life. I've always been a bit of a soul girl, actually. I've always liked Spandau. But this song is my, it's, it's like my karaoke, I, I hate karaoke, but this is a song I always do at karaoke with work. And I actually think it's really positive. I don't even really know what it means. I've read all the lyrics and stuff like that. But gold, <laughs> you're indestructible. And I think that's really positive. And I think yeah. that reflects where I am now. It's like, actually, I don't really care that much anymore. You mm. know, and I think for me, that's just like, be strong, you're gold. And mm. I think that's pretty much where I would leave that one. Makes yeah. me smile, makes me sing. And actually, you know, whether it actually means that or not, I get that sense of it. It's just like, be who you are, you know? Yeah. Believe in your soul. That's really nice. Yeah, so um, that's my So song. listeners on Anchor, please enjoy a little bit of Spandau Ballet. Anyone else, go and listen to it on Spotify yeah. if you fancy. Um, so next question, when have you felt luckiest in life? Crikey. Lucky. I don't know where the luck is. Mm. That's a really tricky question. I've never really thought of myself as lucky. But not in a negative way. Well, I well, I suppose it does sound a bit contrived. It probably is, to be honest, having Chris stick with me all these years. Oh. Because I can be a challenge. 
And um, I think, yeah, I think probably, I don't want it to sound corny, but I think, I think it's not mm. luck. I, don't, I wouldn't call it luck, but I suppose in that sort of term, I think that would probably be it, that he, mm. you know, I can be very difficult. And there's been times when it's all been pretty hairy, but yeah, he's stuck with me. So I would probably put that down as sort of, yeah, probably the lucky, the lucky thing. Yeah. What advice would you give to yourself at 21 that also 21. applies to me now? Sounds like you didn't really need any advice, but well, I don't. I don't think I needed advice because I didn't really know what it was that I was looking for. Sure, I pretty much swam through life. I must say, but it's because I wasn't very conscious of maybe that's to do with upbringing. There was no massive expectations, mm. you know. I sort of I was lucky. I was lucky to get that job. I guess you know that was a bit lucky. I think um, it's a tricky one because I do, I don't really I don't really think and plan. I think my life has sort of just taken its own little path. I mean, there's been moments, obviously, where I've have to be brought back into back into focus a bit. Um, I think it's like you say: trust your instincts, be strong, be brave. Question, you know, and don't sit there like I did for most of my life, going, "I can't do this," <laughs> and you know, play gold every now and again. You go, "Yeah, I can <laughs> do this." And I think it's I think you're in a very different place, you 21, 22 year olds now, than I was when I was your age. Mm. I think, um, you know, I think probably with social media, there's way more pressure. Mm. You know, I didn't get mobile phone till bloody Alice was born in 97, for God's sake, you know. And I was there when I first got my publishing job. I was the first person to have a Mac, I think, you know, in 1988. Yeah. They'd just come in, you know, so none of that ever existed in my life. So the only pressures I had were the ones that I built up in myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that pressure. So I think you're in a much more difficult um, place than we were. Mm. Well, that actually anticipates... My last question, which is, obviously I'm very aware that that's the general zeitgeist, is that things are quite shit at the moment, don't know if you'd heard, but I want to kind of try and make it slightly positive, so what's something that you see as a positive difference in the world that we live in now that myself and my generation can make the most of? Well, I'm hoping is to be honest and say what you think Mm -hmm. and not be scared of saying it. I mean, I think... it's, again, it's, it's, I'm, I don't see myself as old-fashioned, but I do see myself sort of slightly older. And I think it's like um, I can often sound like sort of angry from Tunbridge Wells or, you know, <laughs> and these bloody millennials. But I think, I don't know, I think you've probably just got to, you've got to be honest. You've got to, I mean, I don't look at the internet as positive. I think it's a pain in the arse. No, yeah. But I don't spend my time looking at social media. I think it's maybe, I don't know, be... I don't know, it's really hard. I don't quite know how to answer that one. I think being positive is about just being positive in yourself. And, you know, if if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. You know, you are such a clever girl, you know. You've you've got a degree from Cambridge, you know. You know, and I think it's just it's just about... And I know the jobs are not quite as easy. You probably wouldn't get a job going to a local publishing house now and going... Well, having the yeah. guy say to you, do you drink? So, I mean, it's... I think it's very easy for a parent to say, oh, darling... Oh, it's fine, darling. It'll be all right. <laughs> and actually, it isn't actually yeah. not always all right. And I'm very much aware of that. And I think um, I think that the positive thing for you is your age. You've got a bloody long way to go yet. I think you just have to be positive. Yeah, you just have to be positive. Be confident. Be brave. Be honest. Children are the future, basically. Uh, well, I hope so. We're going to be in a bit of trouble if they're not. What future? What future? There's a big future out there. I mean, I think you know, our the twelve-year-olds are the ones that are going to save the planet. Mm. I think, you know, the ones down from you are going to be the ones that are really going to save the planet. Um, children are the future, yeah, I don't know. Mm. 
you know, you've got a long way ahead of you. Yet. You're only 21. It's just, it depends who you ask, doesn't it? I mean, the, you might ask another person like me that thought the same way that you do, that, you know, there, there has to be a plan, you know. That didn't occur to me. It just, it just wasn't my way. Yeah. It's one of those things you either have to fight it to make it better or you have to go with it. Well, thank you for your pearls of wisdom. Oh, well, we'll see. But thank you for, thank you. Let me talk to you. Oh, thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. And, um, yeah. Good. Here's to Brennan and Barry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>